Well, did you have a good week? Are you looking forward to the next week? Are you looking forward to the heat? Good news, bad day. Summer is here officially as of this week, and uh, the days are getting shorter now. Uh, I, do, I like the long days personally. I tend to get up with the sun. I wake up, I don't know why, but for my body, the way it is, I wake up early in the summer and I sleep late in the winter. And I just, I, I don't know. Is that age or what? I don't know. But uh, if you brought your Bibles this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are in our series. This is the sixth message in this, in this sermon series called Good News for the Not So Good. And we are still in chapter 3. We're going to talk about building according to code. Building according to code. Uh, in parentheses, God's code, not man's code. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 Paul the Apostle, by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a master or as an expert builder, and somebody else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, in their translation, stubble, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. One, I'm just going to pause there. One of the things that always... Arrest uh, my heart, I guess, is the fact that we're going to all stand in judgment before God, and I'm going to be judged, and you're going to be judged for the things we've done for Him, and I believe the motive behind why we did it, and even the things I should have done but didn't do. Uh, that's the one that really gets me more than anything else. So we're going to be judged with that. If, verse 14, what He has built survives, He'll receive His reward. If it is burned up, in other words, it doesn't stand test the fire, he will, be, he will suffer loss, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Do you know, or don't you know, that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Well, we're going to talk about that today. For God's temple is sacred, it is holy, and you are that temple. And so building according to code, God's code. I'm excited to be able to once again uh, proclaim and preach God's word. And I trust that we are going to hear from the Lord today and what God has to say to us. Let me begin by talking about an ancient myth. And by ancient, I mean it goes back a few decades. I'm not there yet as far as being ancient, but I'm getting there. Uh, but the idea, the ancient myth is that mobile homes attract bad weather, especially tornadoes. The myth is that a tornado will seek out, so to speak, a neighborhood filled with mobile homes and decide to do its damage there. If you've watched the news over the years, you'll see in cities, in, in small rural areas where there's mobile homes, it seems like, why does the tornado always find them? 
Well, the myth made sense, I suppose, because if you grew up in an area that I grew up in, and I come from the Midwest, as many of you, most of you know, uh, from Iowa. Iowa had tornadoes. One of the things I disliked about living in Iowa was their tornadoes. When I was a boy, I would get sick when there was a tornado. My stomach would churn and everything else. And I remember one time at, ok at Okoboji camping, my mom's here, she can verify. I remember going out at night to hold down the tents and, and things that were blowing all over the place because of a tornado in the area. Uh, I've been in one time, uh, Jill and I were driving from the Quad Cities, Bettendorf, Davenport, Iowa, to visit the folks in Waterloo, Cedar Falls. Maybe it was in Rhinebeck, I'm not sure. But there was a tornado warning. We saw the sky. We were going on I-80, turning up towards Cedar Rapids, and remember parking under a bridge because the winds were so severe and they were blowing vehicles over. And I was ready to be blown over and kick out the window. I mean, I was prepared for that. But the only prayer Jill and I could pray was Jesus. Just one word: Jesus, Jesus. And we never did tip over as as it passed over the interstates there. Uh, we kept on going north, and we saw semi-trucks tipped over, corn flattened, crop fields flattened. Uh, I just don't like tornadoes, okay? Um, but uh, you could see firsthand, as I did as, as growing up in Iowa, the damage that these tornadoes would do. Remember in Parkersburg as well, being hit by a tornado. Uh, and, and I could go on and on story after story, but, but I didn't like, I don't like tornadoes. Here, the thing that's closest is your, your monsoon storms and the microbursts. We've had microbursts here at church tipping over air conditioning units, even last year. Uh, microbursts back when the day when it was being built, tipping over a semi-tractor trailer back in the back lot that had equipment in it and stuff. Remember some of that as well. Uh, I just don't like storms like that. Um, I like seeing storms from a distance. I like the clouds. I like the rain. But I can do well with, without the tornadoes and such. Now, um, if you've been in any kind of tornado, any kind of storm, you know the destruction that they can bring. Now, some homes, because of their construction, were more, what I'll call, more vulnerable than others because of their build or the lack thereof. Uh, uh, my brother Arlo lost a house in uh, Florida. Um, give me the name. Um, Homestead? Homestead, Florida, Hurricane Andrew. I remember him sending pictures and, and seeing the whole roof was off of his house and, and basically was, was totaled. Um, but hurricanes can also re, uh, wreck a lot of damage as well. Another myth, by the way, is that these homes, these mobile homes, must be susceptible to the whims of nature because they can't be built as strong. And honestly, that is not true. Advances in construction technology ensure even today that modern manufactured homes are specifically engineered to endure the strongest of winds today. And uh, in fact, today, manufactured homes are pretty much like any other structure in town in that this is true. If you build according to code... If you build according to code, you have a better chance that, that whatever home you're in is going to withstand the elements. Well, the same is true in your life and in my life. If you and I build according to code, we're going to have a greater chance. In fact, I'll say you'll have a guarantee that if you build your life according to code, you will outlive and outlast whatever havoc the world might bring your way. 
And you can be sure you will have havoc because guess what? Storms happen to everyone. We all live in this world. It rains on the just and the unjust. It, I mean, everyone faces trials. Everyone faces difficulties. It's called life. How many of you, by raising your hand, have faced a storm, a difficulty, a trial in your life? Let me see your hands. All right. If you haven't, you will. All right. I'm not trying to be a bearer of bad news. I'm just reality here. It's called life. But if your life is built according to code, God's standard, you will endure all the way through until eternity. Jesus says, if, if, we, if we hang on, if we hold on to our faith, if we keep our faith, if we endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And so it's about endurance, it's about overcoming, and it's about really our lives being built according to what God's Word says. And so what do I mean when I say built according to code? Well, Paul talks about that in today's text that I just read to you. We're in week number six, if you're newer here, we're in week number six of our sermon series in 1 Corinthians. If you've missed any, you know, one through five, they're all online on our church website. Uh, you can go to that. But uh, uh, as we've seen in weeks past, and we will certainly see in the weeks to come, the first century church of Corinth was in many ways like the 21st century church in America. Uh, disjointed, at times divided, lacking a sense of purpose and direction, missing the point more often than getting the point, uh, lenient when they should be strict, intolerant when they, when they should be flexible, whatever. Uh, they focused on themselves when they should be focused on the needs of others. They were living for themselves instead of living for Christ. And so the church at Corinth, as well as the American church, was a bit of a mess. But in spite of all these deficiencies and defects, Paul tells them again that they are a work of God, a unique work of God, a work in progress that we've talked about that God will see through to completion. Aren't you glad that God's not done with us yet? God's still working in our lives, in our hearts, and, and hopefully uh, he's working in your life as well. And so Paul says it again in today's text. In the final phrase of the text we looked at two weeks ago, Paul said, and you are God's building in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. Well, in today's text, he expands on that metaphor and says in verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, he would say the same to us today. Yeah, as a matter of fact, every church, as we know, has their problems. I've said this before, if you find a perfect church, make sure you don't attend because you will ruin it. Because we're all imperfect people, all right? Every church has their problems, their defects, their deficiencies, just as every family has their problems and every Christian has their problems. Why is that? Because none of us are perfect. We all struggle. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation. But as God's people, we are, as Paul says, we are his building. We are his temple. And therefore, we should make sure that we are building this building. I'm talking about our lives together. When we build this building according to God's code, we are guaranteed we're going to stand strong. So that begs the questions then, what is the building code? 
You know, what, what's God's construction standard, if you will? Well, let me give you this morning three requirements that every church and every follower of Jesus Christ must consider in order to build a life that will last for all eternity. Always keep in mind, church, this is for keeps. This is for eternity. And the very first thing we need to do is, number one, let's make sure that our foundation is sure. Let's make sure our foundation is sure. I recently read of an evangelist, and he told a story years ago about a time he was giving a series of lectures in Columbus, Ohio. Where's Bill at? Bill's from Ohio, the Buckeyes. And uh, the meeting hall was close to the Wexner Art Center, a popular gallery located on the Ohio State campus. One day as they passed the building, which was brand new at the time, the guide said that the art center was designed with a postmodern view of reality. There's a picture, should be a picture on the PowerPoint for that. And the evangelist asked, well, what do you mean it's built with a postmodern view of reality? Well, the guide said, the building has no pattern. There are staircases that lead to nothing. There are standing pillars that support nothing. The architect designed the building to reflect the random, meaningless, and often absurd, absurd nature of life. And then the evangelist asked the guy this question. Did they use the same philosophy of design when they were building the foundation? To which the guide laughed and said, of course not, you can't do that with a foundation. At least they understand, they understood back then the importance of having a sure foundation. See, the point is this, if you build your existence on the idea that life is random, that life is meaningless, guess what your life will become? Random and meaningless. Unstable in every way. Subject to the the whim of the wind. Now, we all know here today how essential the foundation is to any building. A proper foundation does more than just hold the house above the ground. It also keeps moisture out, perhaps animals out. It insulates from the cold. It resists the movement of the earth around it. From Iowa, the the, uh, frost line you had to dig down for your foundation was 42 inches, I believe, back then. Uh, And and, and, in Overgard, where the cabin's at, I believe it's like only 18 inches. In Mesa, it's zero. We don't have frost. Uh, As far as ground freezing, we do get freezing temperatures, and it it can break pipes and that kind of thing. But uh, we don't have to dig so deep where we're, we're avoiding the frost line. Now, having a good foundation is fundamental when building a house or any other structure for that matter. And according to the guy on this old house, a good foundation should last forever. Without a good foundation, he says, you're sunk. Now, a foundation has to be strong enough to hold a tremendous weight. The the weight of a typical house can vary greatly depending on the materials used in its construction, its size, and other factors. I looked this up this past week. On average, a single-family home in the United States can weigh between 150,000 and 350,000 pounds. That's the average home. 
This can range, however, from as low as 50,000 pounds for a small single-story home made of lightweight materials to over a million pounds for a very large multi-story home made of heavy materials using things such as stone or brick. Now, because the average home today weighs between 75 and 175 tons, at the very least, a home's foundation needs to be sturdy enough to withstand the weight of that kind of tonnage. How many know or how many have any idea how much 75 tons is? That's a lot of weight. Some of you might say, well, yeah, I do have an idea. 75 tons is almost the weight of all my problems right now. Yes, our worries can weigh us down, no doubt about it. But if your foundation isn't sure and secure, life's burdens will surely bury you. In other words, without a good foundation, you're sunk. Now, what's the foundation we are to build upon? Paul says in verse 10 and 11, once again, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Here it is in verse 11, the key. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you get nothing else from today, verse 11. The foundation of your life, the foundation of my life, the foundation of every follower of Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, period. That's the foundation. And if your life is built on anything other than the true foundation of Jesus Christ, then you are susceptible to any storm that comes your way, and you will not survive. Now, how do you know which foundation your life is built upon? I mean, where do you turn when the winds of life begin to blow? Well, some people turn to some kind of substance or substance abuse to take the edge off. Some seek refuge in a meaningless relationship or in relationships. Some just given the rage. Some surrender to despair. If instead you will turn your life over to Jesus Christ, allow him to be the foundation of your life, if you'll do that, friends, I can tell you, you will stand strong. You will endure when the winds, the storms of life come your way. As the apostle Peter said, see, I lay in Zion a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The cornerstone being Jesus Christ himself. The cornerstone being foundational in our lives. And so Peter is once again also saying, hey, make sure your foundation is sure. Make sure your life is being built on none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's the only foundation. And friends, and by the way, just pause right here. Next week is going to be Patriotic Sunday or Red, White, and Blue Day because of July 4th being the following Tuesday. So I'm encouraging you to, re to wear red, white, and blue next week. Let's just color this place in patriotic colors. I know you got the tie, Larry. I got the same tie. I might wear that tie. But anyway, next week I'll be preaching. I do this every couple of years because it's no longer being taught in schools today, but I'm 
going to look at America's godly or America's spiritual heritage. And that will be next week, a little, little pause from, the, from the, uh, uh, the, the sermon series here. But, but Peter is saying, a chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus Christ is it. Uh, Jesus also said in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise, once again, a wise man who built his house on what? On the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet Jesus says it did not fall. Why? Because it has its foundation on the rock. Not shifting sand, but on the rock. You know what sand is? Sand is disintegrated rock. It's a piece of, but it's not the rock. A lot of people build their lives on a little religion here, a little religion there, and yet they're not living according to what God's Word says. And therefore, when the storms of life come, they're built on sand, they're going to they're gonna come to destruction. Now, in order for our lives to be God's building and to be secure, Paul's saying, make sure your foundation is sure. Make sure your life is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure your life is built on thus saith the Lord, the Bible, the Word of God. If your life is built on any other foundation, your life's not going to work. Ask me. I tried, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, doesn't work. Only Jesus, only Jesus makes things work. Amen. Number two, the second building code requirement. Number two, let's build our lives with the very best materials. Let's build our lives together with the very best material. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using what? Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, or stubble. Their work will be shown for what it is, verse 13, because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality, not quantity, the quality of each person's work. If what he has, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. So in these verses, in this section, Paul is talking about the lasting value of a person's ministry and really the quality of their work. The work of some will be like gold, silver, and costly stones. The work of others like wood, hay, or stubble. And he says that our work will be tested by fire. And on the final day, the results of the test will come in. Now, Paul's not saying there that at the end of your life, you will suddenly go through a fire. Honestly, life is the fire. Life is the fire. And we, go, we all go through the fire in various times, in various ways, and the, fire, and the fire reveals on that final day, it will reveal what will survive the flames and what will succumb to the flames. Now, this applies not only to those who are in quote-unquote full-time professional ministry, but it applies to every true follower of Jesus Christ, because we, are, we all contribute, honestly, to the construction of the lives of those around us. In other words, parents, 
Talked about this on Father's Day last Sunday. You are building into the lives of your children. What you teach them will either be gold and silver and costly stones, or it's going to be, or it's going to be proven to be kindling for the fire. Uh, every one of you, you have friends, you have co-workers, you have neighbors. You are building into their lives. You have more influence in their lives and those close to you than do pastors and other Christians. I mean, they'll listen to you before they listen to anyone else. This is why I love Dr. Howard Hendricks and his quote. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And, and I love his teaching, his training. One of my favorite guys, he's with Jesus now, but he, well, he once said, show me a man's closest companions and I can make a fairly accurate guess as to what sort of man he is as well as what sort of man he is likely to become. This is why bad company, different phrase, different scripture, corrupts good character. Uh, so every day we are building into the lives of others. And we're building either that which will last or that which is sure to burn. Now, as we consider the construction materials we choose to work with, there are a couple of areas that require, that really need our attention. The first one is this. Number one, we need to choose carefully those who will influence the direction of our lives. Now, we can't always control whose voice we will hear but we can control whose voice we'll listen to, whose voice we will heed, whose advice we'll consider, whose example we'll follow. Now, when it comes to those that will influence you, I'm simply saying, church, be selective. Be selective. Number one, the second area that requires our attention when it comes to those you will influence, number two, be cautious. Be aware of the lessons that you teach with your words, your attitudes, and your actions. Be aware that if these three, your words, your attitudes, and your actions, aren't consistent with one another, you're building a straw house. As Albert Schweitzer once said, example is not the main thing in influencing others, it is the only thing. That's why the Apostle Paul would also write and say, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, if you want to be, as Paul said, God's building, make sure, once again, you are using materials that are made to last. There's a message that has been one of my favorites over the years, and I believe it was recorded back in the 1970s. It's by Leonard Ravenhill, of course, one of my heroes in the faith as well. And it's his message called The Judgment Seat of Christ. It's a two-part message, the judgment seat of Christ in your day in court. You can watch it on, on YouTube. It's very, because of the recording back then, it's very grainy. Uh, but the message is there. The words are there. You can also, if you go online, and you can read the transcripts of each, of each passage, of each message he preached. The judgment seat of Christ, a two-part message by Leonard Ravenhill. But notice he says what it says. And, I, and when I was studying this, I was, uh, immediately went to the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ because he talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he said this. Notice what it says very carefully. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Not how much, but rather what kind of work. 
Not the quantity, he writes, but the quality. The scripture is speaking of your whole life's work. In other words, your life's work can be wood or hay or straw, or it can be silver, gold, or costly stones. And on that day, the fire will put it to the test, the final test. What fire, he asked? Well, the Bible tells us that God is love, but it also tells us that God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. Paul continues by saying, if any man's work which he built upon remains, he shall receive a ward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as through fire. He says this illustration would be extremely significant to the people of Corinth that Paul was speaking to because not too long before this was written, their whole city, the whole city of Corinth was devastated by fire. They all knew firsthand what damage fire could do. When the fire swept through Corinth, every house that was built of wood, hay, or straw was devastated and left in ashes. But the more wealthy people there had houses built with beautiful pillars of granite. Some even had homes, houses built totally out of marble. These houses made of costly stones were still standing in Corinth after the fire swept through that city, though they were obviously badly scorched. Let's visualize it another way. One man is given $10,000 and he invests it in wood. Maybe some lovely mahogany so the man's entire life's work is made out of wood. It's very beautiful. Mahogany is great wood. But when the fire goes through it, what do you have? All you have is ashes, maybe up to your ankles, and that's all that's left. The next man is given $10,000 and he invests in hay. Another man is given the same amount of money and he invests all of it in straw. Does that sound foolish? Well, people do it every day. Why? Because if you put $10,000 into hay or straw, it looks like you are getting a lot for your money. I mean, truckloads. You could probably buy half the straw in Texas, he says, for $10,000. But boy, you're going to have a mess when the fire gets to it. Instead of ashes to your ankles or ashes to your knees, it might be up to your nose maybe. But that's what some lives are going to be like. Wood, hay, stubble, then ashes. Now let's look at the few people who made a much wiser investment. There's a man over here who has $10,000 and he invests it in gold. He won't get much, and I updated this, he won't get much at almost $2,000 an ounce, will he? The next man invests $10,000 in silver, and another man invests the same amount in costly stones. Each of these men I've just spoken of had all the same amount of money. They all had $10,000, but they all chose different things to invest in. How many are getting the picture? Our whole life, from the very moment we begin to witness for Christ, including all of our service and all of our labor for Him, is going to be tested by fire. And we must be very careful to make wise investments, or in the end, all that will be left is a bunch of ashes. Will our life's work stand the test of the fire when we come before the Lord? Will it have lasting, eternal value, or will it end up in ashes? There's an interesting difference, Leonard Ravenhill writes, between wood, hay, and straw, and gold, silver, and costly stones. If you've never considered it, please hear me. Wood, hay, and stubble are found where? Above the ground. They catch the eye, just like many people's ministries do. 
They are quite plentiful and easy to find. On the other hand, gold, silver, and precious stones are found where? Usually below the ground. Nobody sees them with the natural eye. Again, like many people's ministries, they're not just lying around in the field somewhere for anyone to pick up. They're much harder to come by. In fact, it takes a lot of hard work to mine those things, to get those things. That's why they're so expensive. They're of much higher quality than many other things and are much more rare as well. Again, it's the quality, not the quantity, that sets their value. Many things are difficult in the Christian life, but we should desire to acquire those things which will hold their value not only on earth, but also in heaven for eternity as well. Larry Ravenhill. Church, let's build our lives together with the very best materials, things that will hold their eternal value. I, I look at that and I read that and I think, you know, God in heaven, I, I, just, I still try to imagine what heaven's going to be like. The new Jerusalem and the gold, the gold streets, I mean, gold building, I mean, it's God's not at a loss when it comes to resources. Amen? He's not at a loss when it comes to precious stones, gold, silver, or whatever it might be. But let's build our lives with things that have lasting value. Here's the third building code requirement. Number three, let's recognize the sacred nature of this relationship. I'm talking about what we're doing right now and really what we're doing every week. We come together on the Lord's Day on Sunday and we, we worship together, we serve together, we learn together, hopefully we're growing together, we're fellowshipping together, we have this common, this koinonia, this fellowship that, that God, God believes is precious among us. And that's why Paul says to the people of Corinth, don't you know? Don't you know? By the way, Paul uses this phrase, don't you know, ten times throughout this letter. And each time it's used in what could be considered a scolding manner. Don't you know? Kind of in that way, that tone. The Corinthians, you recall, prided themselves in their knowledge. And so several times Paul says, in effect, don't you know this? As if to say, because you certainly should know this. You're acting as if you don't know it. Don't you know this? In verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? I like the Living Bible paraphrase. And I say paraphrase intentionally. It says this, don't you realize that all of you together are the house of God? A really good rendition of the Greek language here. Don't you realize that all of you together are the house of God and that the Spirit of God lives among you in His house? See, it's important for you and I to note that the word you here is plural, not singular. The King James uses the, the word ye, Y-E, ye. The NIV, the New International Translation, translate you yourselves. Well, the Living Bible says all of you together. Now, if you were from the South, you would say y'all. Are Ewans. I was from Iowa, and I remember trying out for a church, candidating for a church in northern Missouri, 
and just even over the border, just a few miles, it was, it was Ewins, Ewins, Ewins. And that's all I heard was Ewins, you know. It's like, we're not that far south, are we? But uh, Paul is simply saying, y'all are God's temple, and God's spirit dwells in y'all's midst. That, I submit to you, is an accurate rending, rendering of the Greek language. Paul is saying that we're not just a group of friends that get together and hang out every week or so. No, this is a sacred relationship. The fellowship, the koinonia. Together, we make up more than the, the merely the sum of the parts. I mean, for example, you can go to Lowe's after church and, and take 100 hours and you can buy some wood, some sandpaper, some stains, some nails, whatever. And if you know what you're doing, out of that wood, nail, stain, glue, whatever, you're going to make some beautiful custom bookshelves that you can sell for hundreds of dollars. That's the miracle of construction. The whole is worth more than the sum of its parts. Well, the same could be said of the church. Individually, we are just a group of scattered people. We're faring strangers. We're just passing through. But that's individually. But once we come together, we are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells among us. I mean, I grew up in a church. I mean, I was, my mom made sure, Brian, you're going to be in church. If it's Sunday, you live under my roof, you're going to church. It wasn't an option. And so I grew up going to church every Sunday, and mom made sure of that. And so I was there every week. And as a little boy, even growing up in the church, there was one room in the building where I, as a kid, was not allowed to cut loose. What room was that? The sanctuary. And I'm speaking of the sanctuary. That's the way it is in most churches. I could bounce off the walls, and I probably did. I always say the kids that are bouncing off the walls in the church are going to be your next pastor, your next teacher, or whatever it might be. But... I could bounce off the walls, I could run here and there, I could do all that kind of stuff, but there is no roughhousing in the church. Even today, I'll say to some kids, kids off the stage, uh, don't touch the drums, don't touch the, you know, the instruments or whatever here, no running or whatever, and, and we, we, we do that. No jumping on furniture, no food or drink, you know, no shouting. We were Presbyterians, we didn't even know how to shout. All right. But the room was to be treated, the sanctuary was to be treated with the utmost reverence. And of course, there's nothing wrong with teaching kids to be reverent. Sometimes Pentecostals lack in that area, just saying. But let's not forget, as I said all that, let's not forget where the real sanctuary is in this church or any other church. The real sanctuary is whatever room we happen to be in together. Right now it's this room. A little while ago, it was in the foyer. If we had a potluck after church, it would be in the fellowship hall. On Wednesday evenings this past year, the sanctuary was the fellowship hall for the youth. All right, it's just a fellowship hall right now for kids' church. See, the sanctuary is not the building per se. It's the relationship that we have, the koinonia, the fellowship we have with one another. And that's how sacred this fellowship is. In Arkansas, some vandals set fire to an old church and burned it to the ground as cotton plant, United Methodist Church. We have a picture of that. The sanctuary of that church, I mean the room where they worshiped, was more than 100 years old. 
Both the windows and the woodwork were amazing in that church. Well, this particular church was out in the middle of nowhere. The congregation has been dwindling for a number of years because the community itself was dwindling. Downtown was mostly empty storefronts. People were leaving the small town, going for the big cities. Well, when the fire came, most folks assumed that permanent closure was the inevitable next step for this tiny church. But as it turns out, that building that burned down was not actually a church. It was just where the church met. And so the church continued. For a while, they met in a borrowed room. Then they began to meet in the remodeled fellowship hall. And now they're meeting in their new, recently built worship center. There's about 10 people that gather on a regular basis. They're still together. Neither a pandemic nor a fire could destroy this temple because this temple is not brick and mortar, it's flesh and blood. It's people like you and like me. Do you know what's worse than someone trying to destroy a church by burning it down? That is this, someone trying to destroy a church by tearing up its members. Someone trying to prevent worship from taking place, worship from, from happening, ministry from taking place, spiritual growth from taking place, fellowship from taking place. You see, the person who tries to tear down instead of build up puts themselves at great risk. And Paul pulls no punches here. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Know what that tells me? I would not want to be a person who's coming against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the people of God. When, when our government today, this, a few weeks ago, uh, basically sanctioned sin by ad admonishing or acknowledging the LGBTQ crowd, the month of June being Pride Month. Pride goeth before destruction. But when you have people and a president that is saying, this is okay, this is an acceptable lifestyle, that person is in grave danger when he's coming against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, if you, if you destroy God's temple, God's people, not the building, God's people, God's going to destroy you. For God's temple is sacred. Their translation says, God's temple is holy. I think the ESV says. And you together, and you together, y'all together are that temple. That's why, church, you and I should take seriously the sacred nature of this relationship. The church of Jesus Christ is holy, is sacred. And God says, you touch that, I'll touch you. Amen? We cannot build our lives to code if we're being disruptive, if we're being divisive among God's people. This simply means that, you, that before you go into full attack mode on someone who has made the, the horrible error of disagreeing with you, remind yourself of who you are, of who they are, and who we are together. I wanted to respond to a post I read on Facebook again this past week on Jill's Facebook page, actually mine but her, her name, 
and I, I started writing this thing out in disagreement with this person's theology. I won't go into details right now. Started writing things out, and once again I said, no, erase it. It's not the place to do this. It's, it's not worth the chase. All right, so I erased it and moved on. I'm getting better. I'm growing, I guess, in the Lord. But, but uh, we got to be careful. We got to be careful that we, that we hold highly, I guess, God's temple and, and God's sanctuary, God's building. Now, I'm not going to end this message this morning with Paul's dire warning. Instead, I want to focus on the bold and beautiful promise contained in the final phrase of this section of, of Scripture. In verse 17, For God's temple is sacred, and you together, y'all is what he means to say, and y'all together, you together, are that temple. And church, God is building his temple, his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Now, I hardly ever end a message with a joke, but today, because it fits, I will. A guy goes into Lowe's, walks up to the counter in the lumber section, and says, do you have any two-by-fours? The clerk says, well, yes, we do. The man says, okay, then, I need 100 two-by-fours. And the clerk asks him, well, I, I, I need to know how long you want them. The man says, well, I'm, I'm going to want them a long time. I'm building a house. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. See, together... We make up God's building. And God's plan is to keep us for a long, long time. Matter of fact, that long time is called eternity. The building that we're a part of, this sacred temple, is meant to last and last forever. This is what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 5. You also, like living stones are being built into what? Into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, that is God's standard, God's building code, if you will. God's building code, his standard of construction. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. See, we are his temple. And so my exhortation to all of us today is this. Please, please, please build your lives together according to code. Not man's code. I mean, we're going to go on in two weeks, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Not man's code, but God's code. And the only foundation you have that will last is the foundation of Jesus Christ. My closing questions to us this morning are these. What is your spiritual foundation like? What are you building your life upon? Do you have a spiritual foundation? Is it sure? Is, specifically, is your life being built on Jesus Christ, the only true, lasting, eternal foundation, the rock. Is your life being built on Christ? And so ask yourself, what am I building on? What are you building on? And then secondly, what materials 
are you using? That which is, which is impressed in the natural eye or that which is hidden and needs to be dug up? Precious stone, silver, gold. What materials are you using? And when the fire is put to your life, will it stand the test of time? Will it stand the test of time? Let's all stand to our feet. We'll close in prayer. Going back to where I started in verse 10, Paul began by saying, but each one should do what? Should be careful. Be careful how you build. And so church, the exhortation is to be careful how you build. But then he also says in verse 12, if, little word, if, if, any man builds on this foundation, implying if he builds, some will choose not to build. See, God wants us to build, but it has to be on the foundation of Christ, and it has to be with the materials that he selects. And so, Father, today, as we close in prayer, we ask for your help in our lives to build on the only foundation that has already been laid, that being Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, help us to know that the wisdom of man is foolishness to you. God, help us to build on that solid, sure foundation, the rock, so when the storms of life come, when, when things shift in our culture or whatever it might be, God, we still have that bedrock, that firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And God, I, I also pray that you would help us, God, to build together and, and to look at this sacred relationship that we have as the body of Christ, the temple of God, the building of God. And Father, to help us to, to, to build up, not to tear down. And, and Father, I just pray your help with these things in, in your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This morning, if you come and do not have Jesus Christ as your foundation, I would like to invite you to today repent of your sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. To repent of your sin and get your heart right with God. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is only a day, I could say, on a fool's calendar. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow. So today is the day. And if you don't have that that sure foundation today, and you would like to just make things right between you and God before you leave this place, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. But if you're there this morning, and, or you're here this morning, and, and this is where you're at, and just say, Pastor Brian, I need Christ in my life. I need, I need forgiveness in my life. I need to repent of my sin. There's things in my life that aren't pleasing to God that, that will not stand the test of time when the fire is put to it. And so that describes you right where you're at with no heads bowed and no eyes closed. Just raise your hand high and say, Pastor Brian, I need prayer today. I need to repent of my sin. I need forgiveness in my life. I want to make sure that my foundation is built on none other than Jesus Christ himself. If that describes where you're at right now, put your hand up high and say, Pastor, I need prayer. Just holding steady for a moment. I'm not here to embarrass anybody but I am here to make sure that you're right with God because I want no one pointing a finger at me someday and saying, Pastor, you never told me the truth. You never told me. Today, you've been told. 
Jesus Christ is your answer. He is the only answer. He is your sure foundation. And if you will build your life on him and his word, when the storms of life come your way, you will endure. You will stand strong. God bless you all. Thank you for being here today. I want to invite everybody today that's here this morning. We have an hour of prayer tonight from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, if you can come out, we'd love to have you. For the first about 30, 35 minutes, we'll have some slides on the PowerPoint, and then we'll come together about 6.35-ish, and we'll pray together. God bless you all. Have a great day in the Lord.